and the last and final installment of this four-part series where we are breaking down the top prospects in each region. Me and my guy, Leaf Tuline, we will discuss last but not least, or maybe you can say least, the Midwest region and the top 10 prospects where we will share our top 10 prospects. Stay tuned to find out who is number one, two, three, and let's see if we have a lot of similarities or if we are far off because I feel like this region was, I wouldn't say it was the hardest, but it definitely was not loaded with NBA prospects. Stay tuned. Big, big shout out to each and every person that has made the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast your first listen of the day. And this episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code Locked On. That is prizepicks.com, promo code Locked On. Leaf, it is the fourth quarter. I feel like. I'm in good podcasting shape. If there's a such thing as being in podcasting shape, you definitely have to be in it because, I mean, talking for two hours straight, being able to rattle off the information, you have to be in shape to do it. We we had a short 20-minute intermission, but we are going on over two hours. Well, it's been two hours of recording. When we started, it was about three hours ago, so... Fourth quarter, we have to finish strong. Let's talk about the Midwest region. Out of the four, I would say this was the region that had the fewest NBA prospects. It was difficult, but it was difficult in the sense of who fills out the bottom eight, nine, and ten. Am I off here, or is that something you agree with? I agree with you. I think I think there's a clear cut top three. And then from there on, there's a lot of ways you can spin it. Yep. All right, let's start with number one. Who is the number one prospect in the Midwest for you? I've got from the number one seed, Jarris Walker, who is a, a physical talent. He's strong. He's powerfully built. He's shot better than I anticipated when I scouted him in coming into the year. Uh, he's also done something that I appreciate is buying into a very good good team as a freshman and played his role. So I think there's more potential than he's demonstrated on the basketball court in game. I think practices are really what scouts are salivating over. And I think his best skill is probably rebounding. Um, and, and that's something I have said a couple times today about players. And that's something that I value that I think is becoming undervalued. And I think his shooting and rebounding combination makes him a lottery talent. Were you shocked about the loss to Memphis, even though they were missing Marcus Sasser? But not, were you not, shocked about that? And how did you not feel at about all? His, what about uh, his performance? Four for 13, 13 points, only three rebounds, one assist, five fouls. What did you think about his performance? I, I bet on Memphis today to win outright um, because I knew Sasser was going to be out. And I thought there's a lot of value on taking a team that had played Houston close just a week ago where they lost on a buzzer beater. And now the best player on the other team was out. As for the Jarris Walker assessment, that's a tough matchup because the power forward on the other end is 26 years old. <laughs> yeah. DeAndre Williams. He's and, like older uh, than like Devin Booker. 
Yeah, and and so uh, I don't really love that matchup for an assessment, but it is it does give you an element for the taste for his physicality. I didn't think he was physically overwhelmed. I just thought he shot poorly, and that will happen when you take an increased role when one of your better players is out. So I, I don't read into that too deeply. Um, I'd say overall I came away uh, impressed with Jairus Walker's season uh, entering March Madness, 11 points a game. Uh, seven rebounds a game and shooting 36% was the big one. It's the swinging skill for me. I still think uh, that may be slightly higher than, than what I believe his actual shooting prowess to be, but I believe he's got more playmaking and more individual game than, than he demonstrated at Houston. Let's go a little bit deeper into the shooting. At one point he was at 42%, maybe about three weeks ago, then it, it cooled off. But right now, through 32 games, he's at 34% from three, which you'll take that. It's respectable. 60% from the foul line. Which do you think is the more accurate indicator of his shooting touch? Uh, slightly closer to the free throw line. Uh, I think I think his shot is pretty, but Houston generates a lot of space for his shots. He doesn't really take difficult ones, so I think that's a bit of a misnomer a little bit. And then free throws, I, I tend to buy as the the higher likelihood of that being true shooting. Uh, it's always funny because I, I consider myself a good three-point shooter and my free throws, uh, I, I never focused as well. So I shot an underwhelming percent. So I always make the argument for a couple players that they're a better shooter than their free throw numbers indicate. Um, and he may be better than the 60% indicates, but I don't think he's as good as the, the three-point percentage indicates, especially on catch and shoot where he's been pretty good. Yeah, when he was at 42%, I still wasn't sold. And I want to say when he's at 42%, he was about 68% from the foul line. Now they both have declined, I mean, significantly. The three-point percentage is down about eight points, and the free throw percentage is down about eight points also. But that was only like maybe mid-January when, when they were at, at its peak. I'm not sold on the shooting. I think the free throw percentage is more so of an indicator of his actual shooting touch, but I do think that he can be a decent floor spacer in, in the NBA. All right, your number two prospect in the Midwest. Jalen Hood Shafino from Indiana. He's a guy who's really caught on, and, and a lot of draft people are, are very high on him. He's a guy who dominates on the from the mid-range. He's a plus-size point guard who I think as he goes, Indiana will go. So uh, make of that what you will because it's hard to rely on a freshman with a high usage rate. But he's a very, very talented scorer. He's able to score from three levels, really loves the mid-range. I don't know how much I buy his facilitating in the purest sense of being like a pure point guard. However, it's hard to deny the talent and the youth in which like he's, he's 18 years old, come into uh, come into Indiana late in this season and really taken off and elevated their prospects as a team. So I, I'm, I'm high. I'm high on him to a degree. I think I was higher on him coming into the season than most people. I had him about where I have him currently. Then I had him drop down to like 35, and now he's back to 22 for me, which is where he is currently. So we are extremely divided on him as far as um, our big boards. I, we agree, number two, but. Answer this question for me. If Dyson Daniels went, what do you go, eight? Why is Dyson Daniels, in your opinion, I don't know where you had him, but why is Dyson Daniels someone that went in the top 10? And why 
shouldn't Hood Shafino also go in the top 10? Me personally, based off of the style that I like and that I prefer, I would take Hood Shafino over Dyson Daniels. I wasn't overwhelmingly high on Dyson Daniels. I think I had him 15, and I think I was too low on him in retrospect. Uh, Daniels is a far better defender than Hood Shafino in my estimations. Hood Shafino is a far better scorer. Uh, I think Daniels' appeal was that he could be on and off ball for a team like the New Orleans in particular, where they've got a lot of ball handlers and he can be a very good defender instantaneously. But Jafino's appeal is that he can be a scorer from the point guard position that fits the modern NBA, that he can punish drop coverage. He can facilitate because he's taller than the defense and see over them. Um, I, I just, the reason I'm a little lower than some people on him is I'm skeptical about his actual ability to play point guard and make reads. I think Indiana kind of telegraphs their offense. It's if Hood Shafino comes off of, of a pick, he's shooting a mid-range or he's dumping to Trace Jackson Davis. And I think there's – and maybe maybe that's a hard evaluation because there's teams that he could play an entirely different role, and I love his facilitation. But the way they play offense, it makes me hard to buy into the way he actually creates for others. See, like I feel like with Dyson Daniels, I thought that he obviously he was a good defender. I wasn't high on him at all. I remember watching some games early in the season, and he kind of struggled bringing the ball up to court. He had to bring the ball up with his back turn, like Magic Johnson in 1983. But I didn't think that he would be effective off the ball. And looking at the stats right now, shooting 31% from three, he's only shooting 60% from the foul line. So I think he is best with the ball in his hand. And... That's why I wasn't as high on him. But I feel like if he went eight, then I can make a case and say Hood Shafino should go in, in, in the lottery, which is where I have him at. So I'm high on him. I think that he is obviously like a better scorer than Dyson Daniels. I like the size. The passing is is good. I mean, I've seen him make some skip passes and some cross-court passes, some, some reads. Um, I think that he is... Someone that could definitely, I mean, he's already rising. He's already rising for sure. But I think he can take another leap in rising once the season is over in, in the offseason workouts, once teams get to see his size up close, and then if he's knocking down open shots in, um, in the workout. So we agree there. We have him at number two. All right, who is number three? I'm sure we probably agree with this here also. Uh, I've got Chris Murray of Iowa, twin brother yep. of Keegan Murray. Plays similarly. There's there's nuances that are different. He he'll knock down threes in the NBA. He'll be able to defend. He's not going to overwhelm you athletically, but he's not incompetent in that regard either. Uh, he's a solid rebounder, solid defender, a uh, good team player. Doesn't force it too much, and and has a nice lefty stroke. So that's the synopsis of him. Uh, he doesn't wow me as a prospect. I think him and Jalen Wilson in very different ways are I regard in a similar place in my draft board uh, he's at 24 right now and uh or excuse me wilson's at 24 and murray's at 25 and so i, I think both those guys can be impactful if they find the right right homes in the nba and i think they're the best players on their college teams and so it'll actually help them because they'll have a more refined role rather than carrying the burden they do in college all right we'll dig a little deeper on chris murray when we come back I want to ask you your I want to ask you about his his NBA role and, and where do you think he would be a good fit. But let's talk about Prize Picks. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. So you're probably wondering how does it work? 
all you do is pick two to six players, and if they would go score more or less than their prize picks projection, and you can win up to 25 times your money on any entry. There's no competing against other people. It is just you versus the projections available. And Price Picks offers projections on any sport you may watch, NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball, men's college basketball, women's college basketball, WNBA, European basketball, cricket, golf. I mean, the list goes on, and the entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It is that easy, safe, and fast withdrawals. And it is currently operational in over 30 states and Canada. So download the Prize Pick app or go to prizepicks.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. If you are a first-time user, you can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code locked on. If you deposit $100, bucks, Prize Picks will give you $100. Bucks. If you deposit $50, Prize Picks will give you $50. So do not forget to enter the promo code locked on. At sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. All right, second segment. So far, me and Leaf are 100% together with Jairus Walker, Jalen Hushafino, and Chris Murray as our top three prospects in the Midwest. Now, with Chris Murray, all right, first of all, did Keegan Murray wow you last year? I think I was lower than most on him, but I still had him in the top 10 safely. I don't think anybody's lower than our our guy, Sam Ferris. Sam didn't even have him as a top 10 player after summer league. (laughs) So Sam thought he would really struggle, but he, uh, you know, he, he didn't change, didn't fold, still stood by it. I had him going where he went. You know, I may have taken Jaden Ivy ahead of him long-term, but I thought that their fit, you know, I, I didn't think Ivy would have been the best fit. And I thought Murray would have made the most sense in Sacramento. But Chris Murray, do you think there is that big of a difference? I know you said there's some different nuances here other than them being left-handed. But do you think there's that big of a difference? And if there is, why is it based off of your big board, a 20 spot difference? I guess that's the same. I've asked you that question twice so far based off of, 2022 and 23 drafts. I think there's more depth to this draft. It would be the reason for the numerical difference there. I had Chris, I had Keegan Murray number eight. I've got Chris 25. So, you know, 17 spots right there. Uh, the difference to me is I think Keegan used his athleticism more advantageously in college. I think he was able to get to the rim more effectively and more frequently. Uh, I think that. Chris's team has guys that that are more capable individually. I think Tony Perkins took a big leap, whereas Keegan's team uh, was very, very, very reliant on him. And uh, so I think I think the burden that Keegan took on, I also thought he was a slightly better defender, even though they're very similar athletes, obviously, as twins. I thought Keegan was a bit more uh, instinctual. And so I, I bought him a little more defensively, but th- th- it's it's relative. Um, I think a lot of it just has to do with the hunch that I that I had that uh, Keegan would be a better shooter in the NBA than than he was in college, even because. And I was relatively low on Keegan, and, and the reason I say this is because I think he'd get more open shots compared to what he did. I was the targeted man, whereas I think Chris um, is going to shoot fine in the NBA, but he's also getting better looks than than Keegan did at Iowa. Okay, all right, number four, and I'm going to assume we're probably. I'm going Marcus. Yeah, I'm going with Marcus Sasser. 
Yep, same um, here. That was a nasty fall he had. Yeah, that didn't look pretty. Um, I, I hope he's all right because that's a team that has national title aspirations. Uh, Marcus Sasser, I have questions about his NBA role. Uh, I have questions, does he play the point guard well enough because on his own team he plays the two guard. Um, but that said, uh, his talent's there. He plays very hard on both ends of the ball. He can really, really shoot the ball. And you saw that at the combine last year when he tested waters. Um, I think he's not put forth like an amazing, amazing season, but he's been productive on what's probably been the most consistent team in basketball this year. And that means something to me. Uh, I think 6'2", 190 is about what his measurements are going to come out to be, shooting 83% from the line and 38 from the three. I think you got to buy the numbers and productivity and the track record over the years to a certain degree. So uh, he's my number four, but I also just don't think this is a particularly talent-laden region, NBA draft talent-laden region, I should say. I think Marcus Sasser is a guy that would be perfect playing next to LeBron. Like he, I agree with that. Yeah, he needs to play with this jumbo ball handler, maybe even a Luka Doncic, maybe a James Harden, but he'd complement those guys where he doesn't have to be the primary ball handler. He can be secondary. He can play off the ball. He can knock down open shots, which is something that he can really do is to shoot the ball. Got off to a really slow start. I know he, I want to say in late December, he was still around 29, 30, 31%. And then he got hot as the season went on. Still didn't put up the same numbers as he did in the shortened season last year. Where he shot like 43%, but I think he only played like 12 games. But I I like him. On my last, well, my updated mock that I haven't really completed yet, It'll be interesting where I end up placing him because I, I kept putting him late first round, late first round until finally I just had to move him down because, in, in my opinion, he wasn't doing the thing that he is going to have to do in the NBA, which is shoot. And as the season has went on, like I said, he's become a, a much better shooter. So I have him at number four also. All right, number five. This is where we probably get a little bit uh, divided here. I have Trace Jackson Davis at number five. Who's your number five? I've got Colby Jones from Xavier. That makes sense. And, and you know what? It's one of those things where I wrote it down. I went with my gut. But if I sat and thought about it a little bit more, I may flip-flop those two. But um, tell me a little bit more about Colby Jones, other than he does a little bit of everything. Do you got something something new to add? Well, he... he... Definitely does that. Uh, I think I buy his athleticism more than I did entering the season, and that's swayed me to become higher on him. Uh, I've got a little bit of concern about his shooting, shooting 68 from the free throw line, but he's demonstrated really good touch uh, around the rim. He's got a nice float game. He can back you down. Uh, He can hit open three, shooting 39% from three. Colby Jones is a guy that I think is a very good utility player. Like if he were playing baseball, he'd be your utility infielder. Like that could also give you a nice spot left field. Mm-hmm. And he can play third and second. And he'll give you left field occasionally. He's a guy that I think is like an eighth man in the NBA that if you put him on a team, like a culture team, almost like, you know, the heat, the spurs, he fits in because he knows how to pass. He knows how to shoot. He knows how to rebound, but he's a jack of all trades, but a master of none. And so that, that puts a, a cap on his ceiling, but I think his floor is pretty high. 
And I've been more impressed recently with his athleticism and defensive chops than I was entering the season where I had, those were the two areas where I was a little bit pessimistic. And I don't mean to say he's a, an amazing defender or an amazing athlete, but I think he's got a little more spring in his step than I anticipated coming into the season. He's another player that the shooting concerns me. He's up to about 38% this year, but it's on a low volume of attempts considering he is somewhat of a scorer. Three attempts per game, not bad, not great. His first year, 33% from three. Second year, 29% from three. But he's shooting below 70% from the foul line. He's at 68%. His freshman year, he shot, like I said, 33% from three, but he shot 75% from the foul line, only on 37 attempts per game. But he's another one of these guys that the three-point percentage looks good, but then the free throw percentage is kind of alarming. I mean, he's at 68% for his career. And for me, my, I guess, bottom, like 75%, right? If you're below 75% as a free throw shooter and I think one of your strengths is supposed to be your shooting, then I'm a little bit concerned. And I don't know if I asked you last time, but what is the, the minimum free throw percentage number for you before you start thinking like, okay, I'm a little, uh, I'm a little concerned here. Uh, is this for guards uh, specifically? I mean, you however you break it down. For me, it's just 75% period. If you are supposed to be a shooter, like if you're a stretch four, wing, guard, whatever. So 75 is my minimum. Yeah, I'm about the same. I, I think... I'm a little more lenient if you've got some uh, a trait like you get to the rim a lot, you shoot a lot of free throws, and so maybe you're you're fatigued. Mm-hmm. But I, I I'd say seventy three percent, not much different than you. I, I think for bigs it becomes a little different threshold, like a true big, but there aren't too many of those anymore. Um, there's a guy like like Noah Clowney, who's a guy I'm kind of in between on because I think if he can shoot, people will really love him. But I think he's playing a very modern style of basketball. And it makes me a little more lenient on his three-point shooting because he's shooting a ton of them at a young age. Yep. All right. Number six. Actually, you know what? We'll get to number six. We'll save that for the last segment. And in the last segment, we will finish off our last, was it five guys after four episodes? We are almost done. All right. Before we get into the last segment, if you want to eat healthy, then I have a treat for you. If you're looking to eat healthy, but you don't want to compromise the taste, then you have to try a Built Bar because with Built Bars, healthy is actually tasty. And if you're wondering what makes them so good, it's that they are covered with 100% chocolate. Yes, that is right. They're healthy and covered with 100% real chocolate. They come in unbelievable flavors like churro, peanut butter, brownie, coconut almond. Not sure how they do it, but they found out a way to make it Tasty and healthy, only 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, sugar, and a whopping 17 grams of protein. What makes it great now is that you don't have to just go to Built.com to get a box. You can go to Walmart. If you go to Walmart, they're in the pharmacy section. You can grab a four-bar box of cookies and cream, double chocolate, or coconut puffs. Or if you want more, there's a 13-bar box at Sam's Club. Brownie batter, churro, you can thank me later. But if you still want to just order them, go to Built.com. Dot com. All right, last segment. And this has been, how many segments have we done? Three, six, nine, 10, 11. This is the 11th segment. We are well, going on. 12, I think. 
12. Yeah, starting 12. We are going on, oh man, almost three hours of, of total of recording. All right, final stretch. All right, who is the number sixth or the sixth best prospect or whoever you have ranked the number six in the Midwest? Uh, I'm going with Trace Jackson Davis. Okay, so we just uh, flip-flopped. Yeah, I'm not overly high on him as an NBA prospect. I think he's had a tremendous college basketball year. He's very deserving of being a first-team All-American. He's impressed me athletically. He's impressed me with his intangibles and leadership of a team that has kind of transitioned from being a a team that I would have expected to be a 7-8 seed at the beginning of the year, the way they played, to a 4 seed as they're ranked now in the tournament. Uh, That said about Trace Jackson Davis, he has never developed an ability to shoot and he's not particularly big. He is a good leaper. He's got good hands, and he's a good passer. But he's only 6'8 and a half, maybe 6'9. He's 23 years old, and he's shooting 69% from the free throw line, which is better than I anticipated he would this year, but it's been steady. Uh, defensively, he, he blocks a few shots, but I think that's a bit of a fluke because the Big Ten is the least athletic conference, and I think in the, against NBA uh, NBA athletes, maybe if he played in the SEC, which is the most athletic conference in my opinion, I think he would, wouldn't stand out as much as he does defensively in the Big Ten. Uh, so he's a guy I'm a, I've got tempered expectations for, but I think he's draftable in the second round. And I, I, I just don't know what role he plays in the NBA. So he's number six in this region. But like I said, I think there's only five guys I'm, I'm confident in. And I think he will be drafted, so he's the sixth but I'm not as confident in him having uh, a role that I can see being clearly defined based on the ebbs and flows of NBA basketball right now, transitioning to more of a modern bigs. I think he's another guy that, that is a little, little past, past the, the flow of basketball right now. I see him as just the undersized five. That's, that's the role I see him undersized five. The numbers are incredible. You rounded up 21 points, 11 rebounds, four assists, three blocks per game, 57% from the floor. The numbers are really, really, really good. Um, I mean, you can't, I'm not a per 36 guy. Even if you round him up to per 36, they're about the same because he's playing 34 minutes per game. I have him as a second round pick. I think that, I mean, you can say this for any anybody. You put him in the right fit, I think he can be productive. I wonder how tall he's going to end up measuring at the combine, but either way, I just think he's a guy that is going to be a backup five in the NBA, but maybe a a good playmaker. He could be your, your pick and roll, you know, a pick and roll finisher. I like the passing. I mean, I look at a team like Dallas. He can only finish left-handed though. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's some guys that like I'm lefty, right? And I feel like when you're left-handed, if you only finish left, it stands out more than if you're right-handed and you only finish right. That's fine, but for bigs, I, I'd I'd like a guy that was a little more dexterity. Uh, definitely, when his main attribute is finishing at the rim. Yep, definitely. I definitely, definitely agree with that. But I look at a team like Dallas right now. Dallas can't grab rebounds. They struggle on the boards, and maybe he could come in and provide some depth. I mean, Dallas is starting Dwight Powell at the five. I mean, you know. Depending on who you ask, some people think that uh, Christian Wood should play a lot more than you have JaVale McGee, but they struggle getting rebounds. And so if he's a person that come in and play some backup minutes for the Mavs, I think he could possibly help there. Um, all right, number six. Or are we on number seven? 
seven, I think. Uh, this is where it gets really interesting, and I don't think these guys are super draftable. I'll go with DeVry of Drake. He's a true shooter, and I'll be I'll be entirely candid. I've watched Drake twice this year, so that's fewer than just about any other college team that has a draftable player. But he's a good shooter, and he's on a team that's very veteran, yet he's the player of the year in his conference. And so I think there's a trust and knowing how to play for him. Uh, athletically, he's he's got size, but I don't know if he uses it well other uh, against superb athletes, which they've faced very few of. Um, and, and they also have defensive kind of guys with defensive chops in their lineup. So I don't think he takes on the best def- uh, offensive player on the other team very often. So I, I am a little bit concerned about him, but I think shooting is the the key that separates him from a lot of these other players that I considered for this spot. If I'm not mistaken, and this is something that my brother told me, I haven't confirmed it, but he said Drake is older than the Houston Rockets. That is true. They, their, <laughs> their starters are 24, 24, 23, 25, and 20. He's 20, and he's the player of the year. But their team is old. And that's that's a... Uh... I don't know if issue is the correct word I want to use, but that is something to be concerned about with college basketball, the transfer portal. I've mentioned before, I have a friend who has a son that's 18 years old, and he's like, my son is playing behind a 23-year-old grad transfer. And teams are, or coaches are looking for older players. And, you know, I had a, a former player tell me that if you really think about it, there's really no use for freshmen in college basketball right now, unless it is someone that is going to come in and really, really contribute. Other than that, you can just go get you a grad transfer, somebody that's 22 or 23 years old. But we agree as far as uh, Tucker, I have him number seven on my list. All right, number eight. Who's your number eight guy? I think so far we are only ones we've had flip-flop is Kobe Jones and, and Trace Jackson Davis. Other than that, we're pretty pretty much on the same page. Yeah, I, I think we probably will be here, but I, I don't know for sure. Uh, another guy I'm not overly high on, but he is a tremendous athlete, and that's going to be Dylan Mitchell of Texas. I don't love his offensive game, and that's saying it politely. Uh, I don't think he has much of an offensive game. However, defensively, there's a hope that he can guard multiple positions, be a rim protector as a secondary guy who's, who can is probably a power forward. But right now he's basically playing the five as a, in a small forward's body. He's a tremendous run and jump athlete. He's raw as can be. Jump shot is not pretty whatsoever, but he is going to measure in at six foot nine with a forty six inch vertical, something very close to that. Uh, he plays with energy. And he's bought into a culture where coming in as a heralded recruit, he's not playing a ton. And and he's willing to accept his role, but he's shooting 43% from the free throw line and he's only scoring five points a game. I hope he does not declare for the draft and he and he develops the skills in in preparation for maybe the next year. But it's hard to argue with athleticism and what the NBA is prioritizing. He is not in my top 10. I want to know how tall he is. I've seen 6'7", I've seen 6'8", I've seen 6'9". Either way, he is a 200-pound five that doesn't have much offensive skill is he is he even more skilled than greg brown who's without a team right now um i think greg Greg, brown was greg brown had more skill 
but he was also on a team that was younger. So they let him have the ball more. And he came in with like, I'm from Austin. This is my team mentality. I think it to credit Mitchell, the fact that he's bought in and said, I'm I'll be a defense first player. I, I appreciate, but, but this is mostly because I don't love this region for NBA draft evaluation. And see, I don't even know, like, and it's not a knock on him, but like, how could he not buy him? What was he going to do? Demand more shots? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, What's he gonna do? I, I come in with a pessimistic approach. When I see freshmen at five stars, I'm impressed when they buy in because I've seen too many times people don't. And for him, I don't understand how he wouldn't like. I mean, I can't see him saying I want post touches. No, I want you know the ball in in the mid post. No, I want ISO touches. No, I want open shots. No, I never saw like the one skill set that he had other than being athletic and having a decent motor and I'm just not as high on him. It's not like he's 18. He's 19. Now he'll be, he'll turn what 20 this year. So he's not incredibly young either. It's so long-term. Yeah. But I'm just not, I'm not high on him. And I, I mean, I think the shooting has a long way to go. He's at 43% from the foul line. So how long is it going to take to get him to become a decent shooter? I don't know. I mean, I think it's going to take a whole lot of development. Maybe he'll be drafted like Josh Minot was, someone who is a tremendous open-court athlete. You say, you know what, we're going to use the best of your strengths and hope we can develop your weaknesses. Uh, That's why I have him here because I – if he declares, I, I'd i be very shocked if he falls past like 45 because some team's going to say our development staff can make him a stud. And I don't know if I buy it, but that's yeah. just that's just the, the the way the NBA prioritizes that length and athleticism right now. I get it. And I feel like mine now was even more productive. I mean, the teams are totally different. but Yeah, he was on a worse team, but I get your point. Yeah. All right. Number eight for me was... Booty ball. Did you see that uh, interview? <laughs> I, I haven't actually. So, um, Jalen Pickett. Oh, um, wait. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, uh, I saw the, the Twitter headline, but I never saw the interview. Yeah, Brad Underwood was saying he just plays booty ball. <laughs> I thought that was one of the funniest things that I've ever heard. I like Jalen Pickett. I don't know uh, if he gets drafted. I, I, I think he's uh, a very unique player. I think that. He'll actually do well in summer league. It's just kind of finding the right fit for him. But I have him as my my number eight prospect in this region. What are your thoughts on Jalen Pickett? I, I like the way he plays. He, for those of you who don't know, he's, he kind of plays a little bit of bully ball, backs down smaller guards, passes out of the post, gets booty his ball, buckets. According to Brad Underwood. I, I, indeed. <laughs> he, he uses the caboose to carve out space. Um <laughs> But he's got good touch. He's got good feel for the game. Uh, I saw Twitter talking about how he's kind of like Jalen Brunson. I do not think that's necessarily true. The only similarities they can post up, and they're both guards. Um, but I think not more as people, yeah, and 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 he's bigger too, um, but not necessarily in a conducive way for the NBA. Uh, he's my number nine, so we're not too far off on that one. Uh, he's a guy that I think, like you said, won't get drafted because he's older, but I could see him impressing in summer league. Who's your number eight? Uh, eight, eight for me was Dylan Mitchell, nine Pickett, and then I'll go for ten. I think I'm going with Jordan Miller. 
uh, Miami. He's his teammate won ACC Player of the Year, but I think Jordan Miller is the better long-term prospect. Okay, at number nine, I had Richard Stavens' favorite player, Isaiah Wong. Like, what is it about Wong that we're not just sold on? Like, what is it that makes him not a top 60 player, in your opinion? I think what Richard loves is his separation ability. He creates a lot of space, gets shots. I don't like the shots he takes, personally. Like, he shoots bad shots, and he's on a team that really plays to his strengths, playing quickly, gets downhill, take step back jumpers um i don't know if he's as good an athlete uh, in an nba setting as he appears to be in a foot like a run and gun offense where he can go downhill and jump um and defensively i don't think he's very strong uh he's he's kind of lanky he's like a slender jumper rather than like a a well-bit built powerful player um but but the reason i like jordan miller more is i just think his his game translates better He's a fine shooter. He's not spectacular. He's got a lot of craftiness. He plays from the, the the post, similar to Pickett at times. He's a good rebounder, and I think he's the best defender on that Miami team uh, that that plays big minutes. And I, I also think that he's got an underrated just knowledge uh, and feel for the game. I, I thought he was robbed of being a first-team All-ACC player, personally. Who would you have replaced him with? Uh, I, thought, I think he's better than Jamarius Burton. Uh, who was first team for Pittsburgh. Okay. Maybe Hunter Tyson, too, for Clemson. Okay. All right, my last was Marcus Carr or Serge Jabari Rice. I mean, I just put them in in the same bracket. Which one do you like better, Carr or Rice? Jeez. uh, um, (laughs) It's crazy, right? Because Texas, they won the Big 12, and we had to go all the way down to what – number eight on your list to find the best prospect. And he is probably like their eighth or ninth leading scorer. Yeah. Well, the the thing is that's college basketball for you. He, he's they're led by a sixth year in Marcus Carr. I believe uh, Serge Barry Rice is a fifth year and he's transferred t- once or twice. Uh, they've, they've got Christian Bishop, a transfer from Creighton who's old uh, Timmy Allen transfer from Utah and uh, Brock Cunningham is their ultimate glue guy who's been there through all these talented waves of players, and yet see, summing, uh, somehow he finds a way to be on the court more than most of them. So that, <laughs> Was he there they, with they, Greg they, Brown and Kai Jones and those guys? Yeah, yeah, and he, and he was probably better than those guys for the team they had at the moment. Like He was more conducive to what they wanted to do. Man, but, it seems like he's been there since TJ Ford. And Luke Axtell and those guys. That may have been a little bit before D- your DJ time. Augustine and Durant a couple <laughs> years after that. I'm a historian of the game. EJ Tucker. <laughs> so, LaMarcus Aldridge, we can go on. But, yeah, I mean, this region, I, I would say it was, if I had to rank them, it would be number four as far as NBA prospects. But overall, man, this has been fun. Four episodes. It has been just say that we are in very good podcasting shape. Thank you, the listener, for listening to all the episodes. If this is the first one that you listen to, there's three more where we broke down the top prospects from the four regions. So again, thank you for making this your first listen of the day. Thank you for making your second listen, the Locked On Game to Game. I'm, I'm 
tired. I'm struggling for words. But Locked On Game to Game, follow it every moment, every time performance, every result. Locked On Game to Game covers every game from the NBA with local analysis that only Locked On can deliver. So follow Game to Game on the Locked On NBA channel. It is available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, wherever you get your podcast. Leaf, we are done. Four episodes, one night. Big, big shout out to you for spending your your Sunday night recording these episodes. So thank you. And then we will definitely be back on another time this week. And, and, And maybe like right after the first few games this weekend. So big thank you to you. Thank you again, the listener. And we are out.